Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. For me, I check out concert shows all the time. I think GameTime does a great job figuring out where you're going to sit, how much you should pay, when you should buy. It's one of my favorite apps. Well, GameTime is now hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. So here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store, Click on My Tickets section of the app, create an account, then under the billing section, use the redeem code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's THEATHLETIC, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019, so make your moves quick and score last-minute tickets. Welcome to the Shamrock, everyone. I'm Matt Fortuna, and I'll be joined shortly by my new co-host, Tim Brando. We heard you guys loud and clear last week with Pete gone, and we decided to have Tim replace Pete full-time. And wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. no. Who's, who's I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I called into the show. I called into my oh, own okay. show today. John, I thought we got rid of it. We, we changed the number, but all right, Pete, we'll just yeah. go with it. <laughs> Yeah, that, that would have been the second weirdest thing to happen around Notre Dame uh, this week. <laughs> yeah, it would be the second firing that would be inexplicable, at least from the outside looking in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so this podcast, a lot of chip long talk, as you might imagine. We'll get some Clark Lee in as well. Uh, early signing period opens on Wednesday. I'm actually, Matt, I'm assuming that you're in your comfy uh, home office in Chicago. I'm actually at a courtyard in downtown Richmond. As I'm doing my recruiting blitz work, spent some time with five-star running back Chris Tyree this afternoon and going to spend some more time with him tomorrow for a story later in the week. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit. But uh, certainly, Notre Dame's offseason got off to a tumultuous start when uh, a week ago, Sunday, uh, so that would have been, I think, believe December 8th, Brian yes. Kelly let Chip Long know that he would not be retained. That news came out four days later. Notre Dame was in a little bit of scramble mode at that point. Um, you know, certainly there was some planning that went into getting Brian Kelly on the road and in front of as many offensive skill prospects as possible. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, they pretty much hit everybody, uh, which is you know one of the joys of private travel. <clears throat> but um, <laughs> Chip Long no longer Notre Dame's offense coordinator. I, I guess what you, Matt, I, I know that you felt like this was going to come at some point this offseason, but I don't think either of us thought it was going to come last week. Yeah, I figured they'd be able to kind of keep the cat in the bag, if you will, until after signing day, which is the way a lot of these programs with the, the new early signing period uh, in late December you know, kind of go about their business. Um, and obviously, you reach the point of no return between the two. I'm sure you know well, we both have talked to a lot of people from both sides and, and have gotten you know a lot of different versions of what did or didn't happen. But it became very clear, uh, you know, late in the season that that something was off, both on and off the field. And uh, you know, as you know, we we pick up the the missing pieces here uh, with Chip now moved out of the building. Uh, yeah, it was very clear. Like the, the guy just didn't have a whole lot of friends there, um, and. I think, you know, you can get away with that at some points when you're having a lot of success on the field. Uh, the success this year was, you know, we wrote this as a story today. You can look at it glass half full or glass half empty. But uh, the two biggest games of the year, that they, they, they lost. And uh, there just wasn't a whole lot of people in that building who was, was going to go to bat for, for Chip Long. And, I you know, we've, I've read a lot of the comments on our story today. Uh, you know, there, there's anytime something like this happens, there's going to be cries of today's generation and, and kids are too soft and yada, yada, yada. It's more than just players. I mean, there are a lot of adults in the Goog who, who are not shedding a tear about Chip Long no longer being employed by Notre Dame football right now, for better or for worse. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I mean, he had he had a very sort of rough and tumble uh, relationship with a lot of people over there, but the head coach wasn't one of those people. And no. you know, you mentioned you could say like when you're having success, they they went 32 and six the last three years when he was here. That right. that's. You know, it's more than a little bit of success. But, I mean, if you ask Chip Long point blank how how he's going to remember the season, you know, beyond last week, he would point to the missed opportunity at Georgia and just the complete failure at Michigan. I, 
he would have been he would have been in the glass half full camp, which is there's a there's a really interesting creative tension to that because do you dwell too much on that? I know that you've talked to people in the Goog that have said just move on from Michigan already, like get over it. Um, but if you do that, are you just sort of washing your hands of trying to fix what happened and just saying, hey, bad bad night at the office? Because um, certainly Chip Long was um, you know maniacal in his coaching. Uh, very, very driven. His practice habits were, I think, at sometimes just brutal. Um, but they were brutal by design because he felt like if I can really drive points home on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturdays are going to be easy. And if you watch Chip Long's sideline demeanor, he does not rant and rave. He is nowhere near what Brian Kelly was in 2011. Mm-hmm. Or 2010. I mean, he's more calm than Brian Kelly is in 2019. Uh, but in practices, it was it was another story. I think it was interesting that you know the players that responded best to him were often the best players. McGlinchey, Usually, offensive linemen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Often, offensive linemen who are you know brought up under Harry Heastan, who right. Mike McGlinchey told me was you know Chip Long had nothing on Heastan in terms of tirades and tantrums and just pushing and pushing and pushing you. Um, but, you know, did every quarterback respond well? Certainly not. I mean, you know, Brandon Wimbush's career for all his talent, his head really went sideways. It's it's hard for me to reconcile the, the natural ability that Brandon Wimbush had with what the output was by the end. With Ian Book, you know, certainly in November, I felt like he got a lot out of him. Right. In September and October, less so. Um, you know, is that – but is that on Chip Long? Is that on Ian Book? Is that on Tommy Reese? I'm not really sure – uh, where to go with that? But um, ultimately, Chip Long was the offense coordinator, and you know, I asked Brian Kelly, tried to essentially corner him into giving a straight answer, and he did. Like, do you expect the offense to change next year? And he said, no. You know, there will be some nuanced, nuanced differences, and that's great. But the playbook essentially is going to be the same, which means that the playbook and the guy calling the plays was the on-field stuff was not a concern. It was not that was not the issue. You know, it's interesting, again, when we talk about coaching hard and, and what's appropriate and what's not. And, you know, I, you know, reading your story uh, last week when the news first broke and, and quoting Mike McGlinchey and hearing some of the war stories about Harry Heastand, which is expected. I mean, like you said, the guys who respond best to this have been some of the best players and have been, frankly, offensive linemen because that's, you know, for the most part this year notwithstanding where Notre Dame's bread and butter has come from. Um, I, I just, you know, talking to people – one anecdote I got was, you know, post-USC game. They win that game, and, uh, you know, it's, in some ways it was more of a relief than, than a, a triumphant victory because they won by three points, and it got really close to the end there. And, you know, talking to someone who talked with a lot of people on the roster that night, it was it, – it, there was just this mental exhaustion, if you will, and it wasn't – it's very hard for us to, to describe this because we're not playing for these guys and everyone's going to view things differently. I think we can do the best we possibly can by talking to as many people as humanly possible. But the way it was described to me was, you know, it wasn't like a Harry Heastan situation where this guy's crazy, but he's kind of a lovable crazy, and we know in the end he's going to get us where we want to go, and we're just going to have to, you know, put up with him cursing at us for, for two hours every day on the practice field. It was, this guy's just not reaching us. He's not connecting with us. Um, he's kind of a jerk for the sake of being a jerk. And we're not really sure where this is all leading to. And this was from midseason. And, you know, even coming into this season, you know, without everything that happened or didn't happen on the field this season, uh, the vibe I got around the Goog was this was probably going to be, be it, going to be it for Chip Long one way or another. Um, he had drawn some interest, obviously, from other programs, most notably Alabama uh, at, at the end of last season. How serious or not that was, you know, we'll never quite know. Um, but, you know, he's an acquired taste. He's a bull at a china shop, especially uh, at a place like Notre Dame compared to where he came from before in Memphis and being, you know, raised and born mostly in the southern part of the country in Arkansas and Alabama. Um, and I just think at some point that kind of mentality, uh, you, you start getting diminishing returns once you reach a certain point. And I think obviously it was a, you, you can't look at other, any other way than a successful hire, right? I mean, he came to a program yes, that was 4 100%. and 8. They went ten and three. They made the playoff, and even this year, in a quote unquote down year, they still went ten and two. So I don't think you can brand this as a failure by any means. I mean, he saved people's jobs. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people were new in twenty seventeen, but 
none were probably more important than Chip Long, who for the first time in Brian Kelly's head coaching career, for all we know, took play calling duties off his plate and really got that offense humming despite its physical limitations at certain important positions. Uh, So I don't think you could look at this as a failure. But in some ways, that just makes the story more interesting, right? I mean, on the surface, everything's humming along. Everything's great. It's a lot different than it was three years ago. And out of nowhere on Wednesday, without even a press release, right, there's just all these whispers and things coming to light of, hey, he's not here anymore. His office has been cleared out, and we're going to move on from here. It's like, wait a minute. Um, You know, if this was happening in a different part of the country, namely the SEC, where a a rating Broyles finalist disappeared after a 10-win season in which his offense had the highest scoring offense in the last decade under this head coach, uh, the message boards would be going crazy right now, as I'm sure they are in Notre Dame as well, but there would be rumors and all sorts of innuendo flying about it. I just think the whole nature of this situation is is probably impressive, at least in recent Notre Dame football history. It's, uh, it is definitely a strange situation. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that you know, we wanted to talk about was just that the, the job that Chip Long did as a as you know, branding it a success, like you just said. I mean, there's no question about it. And I think one of the ways to look at that is Chip Long probably would not get this job if there was an identical candidate to Chip Long available right now because right. of they're Where not coming off four and four and eight. They're coming off 32 and six. They're not trying to figure out do we even have a quarterback who could play? Do we have receivers who can move? Do we have any running backs at all? Um, they're, they're bringing in their best group of offensive skilled talent since Brian Kelly has probably been here um certainly at uh, you know uh, the best running back receiver tight end trio that they've that they've ever had and a lot of that credit goes to Chip Long I mean it's if you go on to you know the very unscientific uh, recruiting rankings on 24-7 when it comes to recruiter rankings Chip Long is in the top 10 nationally mm-hmm. so that's a that's a good place for him to be, um, Notre Dame needs guys like that on the roster, and I think it sort of goes back to some of the things that Brian Kelly talked about on Saturday when I was in there, and just like this was a really tough decision. He felt like he was doing it for the in the best interest of Notre Dame football. He's made tough decisions. He referenced sort of the uh, the clear out of 2016. Mm-hmm. I think more so with Longo and Denbrock um, sure. than Van Gorder in the sense that these are guys that were in his wedding. Um, you know, close friends of his. And I think that the Brian Kelly chip long relationship will last beyond this. Um, I don't think if Notre Dame runs at a chip long a year from now, it likes Let's say he's the OC at, at Arkansas. Um, you're going to get the frosty. I haven't talked to him since he, I, he was let go here, which is sort of how the Brian Kelly, Byron Van Gorder dynamic was brought up before Bowling Green this, uh, this season. So I, I think Brian Kelly and Chip Long are way more similar um, than than maybe the average fan would would realize. Um, I I asked Brian Kelly about this right as I think it was my first story on the Athletic. Other after why I joined the Athletic, and it was a a Q and A with Brian Kelly, and I said, "Hey, you know, one, tell me about the relationship between." Uh, Chip Long and Brandon Wimbush that seems to be you know sort of the most important uh, locker room dynamic that you have to get right uh, but then also I said hey Chip Long's kind of a hard ass and he, he reminds me of you in 2011 and I, I didn't mean that in a overly complimentary way I mean the the image of Brian Kelly from 2011 is South Florida Brian right. Kelly um, and you watch practices Chip Long didn't quite get to that level uh, which is good because it's not healthy to get to that level but he he rode them hard like exactly like he stan did and um i think just sort of the the personality of this roster has changed for one reason or the other i don't i don't think that's 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 not a there's no value judgment on that um but guys that responded to his coaching in 2017 have graduated or on many of them are playing in the nfl and i think the guys who are here responded less favorably to it um you know, and I think that that Chip would probably admit that this season was more frustrating than he wanted it to be, or he expected it to be, um, with the offensive line play maybe not hitting the levels that was expected or demanded. And you know, that frustration boiled over in practice <clears throat> sometimes. Uh, I don't, I don't doubt that at all. But that's where I, I would, I would, 
that's sort of a that's football kind of thing to me. I don't really get too worked up over um, salty language or right. you know blue vocabulary in practices. It's football. I think that's fine. Um, but ultimately, what's most important is are you getting the most out of your players? And you know Notre Dame's offense, for how statistically good it was, felt like. It's it's strange to me because it, it it felt like it was less than the sum of its parts at times, but it also felt like revealing that their parts were just pretty good to begin with, not great. So, in some ways, the statistics they that they hit are are surprising. I feel like I'm talking out both sides of my mouth on that point because it's you know you know what I mean though. Yeah, it's like, no, I, I I know exactly what you mean. I mean, it, it, you you look at the numbers and they're good. Uh, now I've talked to people in the Google said you know. It wasn't that good. I mean, look at us in big games the last couple of years. Three points against Clemson, you know, 14 points yeah. against Michigan. Georgia, I, mean, I personally think they did, you know, probably as well as you could possibly do in that environment offensively, penalties notwithstanding. But, uh, you know, there was one person who said, you know, we, we struggled in big games. You, you guys are giving too much credit. Another said, you know, why don't you do a study and look at everyone's offense the last three years? Of course they're going to have a historic offense the last three years because that's the nature of college football. And I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't dove into it through all 130 teams. I'm sure that's part true, but I also think, you know, this was a place that really needed to reinvent the wheel offensively when they got, when Chip Long got here and they did do that for the most part, uh, even if it kind of plateaued this year. Uh, so I, I, I understand, you know, talking out both sides of your mouth. Yes. I mean, you'd like for them to have done better this year. And then, you know, as it's in the story today, you look at the, the key players on this team, the, the best offense lineman's a guy who didn't play the last month of the year. The best running back had 175 yards, I think, the last month, second half of the year. Uh, it was Correct, a very, yeah. very limited roster offensively. Um, so it's easy to say they could and better, but it's also very easy to say, uh, you know, they are what they are. Uh, yeah, they need, be- they the need material no, to do better but, as well. Right. right yeah, they absolutely the Michigan did. performance and, is in Miami was really bad. Um, and there's no getting around that. I think Stanford was frustrating, but I, I necessarily wouldn't put that on the offense coordinator. The Georgia games, you know, okay, this, did they struggle at Georgia? Yeah, Georgia was finished second nationally in scoring defense. Did they get shut down badly by Clemson? Yeah, well, Clemson led the nation in scoring defense, and then a couple years ago against Georgia, they really struggled. Georgia was sixth in the country in scoring defense. Um I'm not really sure who is lighting up those teams, other than unless you have a Heisman Trophy uh, winner or candidate at quarterback. Which, like Ian Book, has been good. I think he's overachieved, but he's not at the level of Trevor Lawrence, Joe Baker Burrow, Mayfield, yeah. Joe Burrow, that level of player. Um, and I, th- I think that is, I think that gets into the recruiting aspect. Chip Long was arguably their best recruiter. I'm not going to say that far and away he was because I think Elston. Polian, I think Lance Taylor is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jeff Tommy's been good. His position pretty well. Yeah, Tommy is recruited. You know, to the Tyler Buckner situation moving forward. I mean, they, they. Have, I think Terry Joseph does a good job. I could almost name the entire staff here, but <laughs> Chip Long was a dog on the recruiting trail, and I think in a, in a way that not every coach is. Um, he was an asset in that department, a big one. Um, and what does Notre Dame new, need most to catch up to? Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. I don't think they need a, a more warm and cuddly offensive coordinator. They need more players. They need their Justin Ross. They need their Trevor Lawrence. They need their Travis Etienne. Um, and I think in the next two classes, they're sort, Notre Dame is sort of signing those players or about to sign those players in part because Chip Long recruited them and didn't take no for an answer. So it's, um, it's, a, it's a strange situation. I think that's one of our um, – you know, Adam Rittenberg over at ESPN, we were sort of comparing notes a little bit. He's like, did that press conference on Saturday seem awkward? And I'm like, yeah, it did, because this is an awkward situation. Um, there's just there's just no way around that. Um, that Notre Dame just will have to figure out moving forward. Like, and where, you know, where do you think they go next? It's certainly Tommy Reese is sort of the in-house favorite, but even Brian Kelly's commentary on that on Saturday seemed to be almost like, the Reese hype was getting out over at skis a little bit and people need to, to really calm down about that. Almost like it was going to have a negative effect on how he viewed that promotion, or at least he wanted to forcefully hit pause on that. The holiday season is here and we know what that means for football fans. Bowl season and in well over 30 bowl games before the championship game on January 6th. 
If that's not enough to get you excited, the playoff push is underway for the pros. Need even more? The DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on all that action and more 24-7, 365 days a year. With so much going on this week, they have great promotions every day, especially this week. DraftKings is giving away eight days of sportsbook gifts this holiday season. Be sure to check out the promos tab in the DraftKings Sportsbook app each day of the eight days leading up to Christmas to open your daily gift. You definitely won't want to miss what's in store for Christmas Day. With promos like these, it's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the code FAST for a limited time, and all new users can get a free bet when you sign up. Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. Don't forget, sign up with the code FAST to place your first bet, and you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Indiana only. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Yeah, look, I understand where Brian Kelly was coming from yesterday. There's only so much stuff he could say publicly. Um I mean, he said, I, I, you know, this wasn't a decision based on players telling me we're going to leave or it's us or him or, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to look at all of our options for, for offense quarter. I, I get all that. Um, look, were there players celebrating when, when Chip Long got fired? I, I don't know that, but th- that's that's been word around town. And, and the fact that that word is traveling and traveling fast, I think is pretty telling enough. Um, I, I do think there were a group of guys on that team who probably were going to have second thoughts about coming back uh, for a fourth or fifth year if they were going to be playing for Chip Long again. And look, I understand if you're Brian Kelly, like you can't just come out and say that. Um, that those are things that are, are going to naturally be kept in-house. Um as far as where he goes next, I understand why you want to, uh, you know, tamper the hype a little bit around Tommy Reese. He's a young guy. He's a guy who, for all of his football acumen, still has not called a, a play as a coordinator in college um, yet at this level. Um, but but I think when you look at the makeup of the roster, when you look at uh, the, the situation you have right now. Um, I don't. I mean, I think you need to do your due diligence. You need to conduct a national search and, and get a feel for what's out there. But I don't think you go out and hire the next Chip Long or a Group of Five guy or even a lower tier Power Five guy uh, because he's called plays before and he's interested in the job. I mean, uh, I, I think unless you can find someone who's an absolute home run, like a name hire, um, and look, Tony Elliott's not leaving Clemson to come to Notre Dame, right? Jeff Scott just left for a head coaching job. But unless you can get a, a big fish in that nature. I don't think it's necessary to uh, try to reinvent the wheel and look too far elsewhere. I think they have a really capable candidate and promising candidate on their staff and Tommy Reese. I think, uh, you know, not not to cater to him, but you want to keep your employees happy. And this is a guy who, who probably feels he's paid his dues, both as a player and a coach of that program, and especially on the recruiting trail uh, where he's been a major asset for them so far. Uh, and he has so much familiarity with this roster, which is largely coming back intact offensively next season. I, I just wouldn't overthink it too much. I mean, unless there's uh, this rock star guy out there who's unhappy elsewhere and is looking to, to come aboard, uh, you know, Joe Brady or something, you know, I, I just don't think um, it would be necessary to, to overthink this. I think you, you re-tinker with the staff, however you may be. I mean, I took those comments yesterday about uh, I, I fired people who've been in my wedding before and friends and this and that. I mean, I, I would not get too comfortable if I were Jeff Quinn right now and I heard that. Now I don't know whether his job's actually in trouble or not, but certainly the line uh, under-delivered, underperformed this season. And uh, when there's going to be at least one extra hire coming to the offensive side of the ball, you naturally look at well, will someone move to tight ends, which would be the O-line coach? Will someone be hired as a full-time O-line coach? Or will they just you know, clean house uh, for the most part outside running backs on that side of the ball and start from scratch? I don't know. Um, but, but I just think there are a lot of moving parts here right now. Because of that, I think you need to be careful about who you're bringing into the building to, to kind of uh, put their fingerprints all over this offense. Yeah, because, look, they, they don't want an offensive reboot based on Brian Kelly's commentary on the playbook. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like they have to start over there, but you know, I mean, you know, when you know, he's been searching for offensive coordinators in the past, he tried to get Lincoln Riley when I believe right. he was at East Carolina still. Um, you know, and Bob Stoops hired him at Oklahoma. Um, he was interested in Mike Norvell when he was at Arizona State. Um, didn't happen, but that's that's sort of how they got to Chip Long, I believe. 
Um, he's, I think he, you would have to look at some of the guys he's tried to hire or kick the tires on and be like, yeah, those were, those were good candidates. They may not have been huge names. I don't think the offensive coordinator at Arizona State or the offensive coordinator at East Carolina necessarily would be, you know, pass a blind resume test. But like now, there's the head coach at Oklahoma and the head coach at Florida State. So um, those those situations, I, I think that Brian Kelly has a, a pretty good eye for offense coordinators. Um, yeah, they're different that, situations then too, though. I mean, again, you're yeah, looking no, I mean, for he, something he has, to, to change I think the, the eye. Yeah, I mean, like his eye is that's unchanged. He has more to sell now than he's ever had before. It's the same in recruiting. Like, you're not recruiting. Hey, we're hoping to rebuild. You want to? Can you be part of it? It's now. Hey, we just won. We went 32 and six. Um, why don't you come here and get us back to the playoff where we were just one year ago? Right. Um, if you're an offensive coordinator, I think that would be really appealing. Maybe maybe there is a young guy out there um, who can work well with Reese because certainly you have to have Reese part of the staff. I think Alexander Taylor are safe. Moving Jeff Quinn around, I, I, I'm not sure how that would be received. Um, you know, whether that be by Jeff Quinn or the tight ends if he moved over yeah, there. I, I agree. Yeah, it uh, that might not be a hit. Um, I'm not really sure where they're going to go with that because it's certainly talking to the players, talking to Book, talking to Chris Fink on Friday night. Um, I mean, Fink outright advocated for for Reese. Uh, right. Book was not a little, maybe a little bit more measured, but. Um, you know, the, the, the coach, the sort of platonic ideal of a coach, as they describe it, is Tommy Reese. Um, knows his stuff, wicked smart, uh, and very relatable. You know, able to sort of be in the locker room and hang out. And knows um, the place. I mean, like, it's, it sounds cheesy and, and, like, almost from a recruiting graphic to repeat it, but it's a different place. Um, and Chip Long found that Brian out the hard way three years in. Years to figure that out. Yeah, yeah Chip no, Long I mean, didn't figure that out soon enough, at least to save his job. Yeah, no, I mean, I think he figured it out who to recruit, um, you know, but in terms of the players once they're here, that they, you got, you got to have a certain approach to that as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, Reese has to have some kind of promotion, and you can title it however you want. Um, but I. I mean, what Joe Brady's what, passing game coordinator at LSU, but Steve Ensimir still, though. See, so, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, who knows who's doing yeah. what. But look, I mean, no yes. one no one cares at LSU whose title is what. Right. Um, you know, it's like Joe Brady could be like, you know, gumbo aficionado slash pass game coordinator. <laughs> like that. Like, That's great, a pretty big one down it. there, yeah. Yeah, it's serious stuff. So I they, they just – I want – you know, Brian Kelly said, hey – I'm going to find the best guy that fits this program. I really want to know who who that is and and where that's going to go because it you you could take it any number of different directions. Well, I'd look at the market now too, right? I mean, you're going to be competing against, in theory, assuming you're conducting an actual natural search. You're competing against Penn State. You're competing against Texas. You're competing against uh, is I don't know if Washington promoted from within for OC or if they're looking to hire it elsewhere now that DC Jimmy Lake has taken over there. But you know. Point Oregon being, as well, right? Oregon. There's another one, yeah. So, I mean, you are competing with national brands that all have the same goals you do, which is to get to the playoff and eventually win it and to recruit really well nationally. Um, now, I think most will pay. I do know, and you know as well, Notre Dame will pay. They get this rep yes. for whatever reason of being cheap. And, look, there is definitely an awkward like push-pull with administration and athletics uh, that's just like part of the fabric of that place that's always been there and will always be there. If they get too good, they'll try to reel it in. If they get too bad, they'll probably take a few too many risks. But at the end of the day, it's a private school, and not all this gets out there until they release tax forms years later. This place will pay, okay? So uh, that's a giant <laughs> misnomer that's out there. They have million-dollar coordinators and guys yes, who are go- close, to, close to million dollars when they first get hired without much of a resume uh, in the past. So um, let, let's get that out of the, 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 the way first. I mean, uh, they, they can afford a big name if they really want one. It's a matter of what else is out there. How much is the makeup of the place going to change when you bring in a new voice to, to basically, you know, uh, teach these guys a new language offensively when, when they've been in this program for three or four years by now? And, you know, balance that against Tommy Reese, who, uh, like, I, I would be surprised if it doesn't end up with Tommy Reese's offense coordinator. Um, you know, he'll be calling the plays in the bowl game. Uh, that will be presumably his audition, assuming Brian Kelly doesn't say anything publicly about the position uh, before then. Um, but I just think um, – you know, it's it, it, it's an interesting situation when you look at the market around the country. Yeah, and I mean, for the record, it's like 
the new guy comes in with a different playbook, you match that vocabulary to what Chip Long and Brian Kelly want it to be, or you know, Chip Long ran what Brian Kelly wants. That's that's how it worked with Chip Long. You know, Chip Long well, had it, new it, ideas and a new playbook, but he matched the personnel names to what Notre Dame already knew. Well, and I will add, uh, in addition to the language and the playbook, um, it's not just you know speaking a language these players get. It's getting along with everyone in the room because Chip did not do that. Again, it wasn't just players that were frustrated with him. It was his fellow staff mates, which I think played a large role in, in him ultimately not being here anymore. So uh, if you're bringing in a new guy, it's probably a guy with no ties to Brian Kelly or to really anyone on that staff. And that's another, I hate to say barrier, but given how this last OC ter- ended up losing his job uh, th- that's got to be a factor that you have to strongly consider as well yeah I mean that's fair I'd also say like look if the offensive line has has 30 false starts I don't want the offensive coordinator having an awesome relationship with the offensive line coach you know what I mean like there has to be some kind of level of demand uh, for efficiency and perfection to make it go and that I would um, agree Pete but you know what I know uh, the offensive line coach is very important people in that building who yes, uh, he's true. friends with. And that probably is what caused uh, at least the plant of the seeds for some of this early on. Yeah, I mean, there's, I... No qu- there's no question there was frustration about the run game and how it was executed and how it was blacked out and all and all of that stuff. I get, I, I get that. I mean, it, any like go on Twitter, there was frustration there. Um, <laughs> it was kind of this is one of those instances where I think internally and externally the uh, perception was the same. Um, but I, you know, I've, I don't know where they're going to go next with the offense coordinator. I think there's a lot of options. Um, one thing that I, we know now is that they don't have to go anywhere next for their next defensive coordinator because they still have their current defensive coordinator, which I think um, for how valuable Chip Long was to the whole operation, Clark Lee is that plus a few different levels. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Uh, I, I think back to the good old days of when we first launched this Deer podcast many weeks ago and uh God, pretty like sure years ago <laughs> well me and you have no hair left to lose but it does yeah. feel that way um but we spent i think the whole first episode talking about chip long and clark lee and how different they are how successful they are how they relate differently to players but it works for both um and they were pretty close to to you know losing both of them um from, from this past week. I mean, Clark Lee was, by all accounts, the runner-up to Jeff Halfley at Boston College to become their head coach, which, one, is a remarkable rise for a, a guy who's still in his 30s and has just two years of coordinating experience under his belt, but two very successful years, obviously, with the playoff last year and a, a great unit despite some question marks coming into this season. Um, and, and, you know, I, we, we talked, I think, last week uh, on the, the pod, uh, the Pulse Bowl pod, you know, would if you're Clark Lee, you know, if you're an established coordinator, do you take one of those lower power five jobs? And, you know, I got to thinking after we, we talked about that, I mean, Boston College would have been perfect for him because, who you know, Brian Kelly's closer to the end than he is the beginning. I mean, we're comfortable saying that much, whether that's one year from now, two years from now, four years from now. Uh, if you're Clark Lee and you go and get that power five head coaching experience at a Catholic school uh, with a certain type of kid that's very similar to the type of kid you're going to be recruiting at Notre Dame, you go to Boston College, you win eight, nine, maybe even ten games in a good year where the ACC is, frankly, right there for the taking outside of Clemson. I think you immediately put yourself in position to come back here and succeed Brian Kelly whenever he does step down. Um, now, again, he's still young. We still don't know how many years Brian Kelly has left to be the head coach at Notre Dame. Uh, but I think this experience, despite it ending um, in a, a not positive way in terms of not getting the job for Clark Lee, is something that I think is going to stick with him and that's going to help him moving forward. I mean, we see that even uh, on different levels. Matt Rule at Baylor got an interview with the, the Indianapolis Colts when he had a one-win season, and, and that sounded crazy <laughs> on the surface. But you know what? It showed recruits and everyone else that, yeah, the results might not be there on the field the way you want now, but this guy knows what he's doing. And if the NFL thinks he knows what he's doing, you better know what he, that he knows what he's doing. And that's turned out to be the case. He's gotten NFL interviews every year since, and they were a play away from making the playoff of the third-string quarterback this year. Uh, obviously, Notre Dame's in a better position right now than Baylor was then, but uh, I, I think nothing but good can come from this if you're Clark Lee. Now, if you're Notre Dame and you had to replace him, that would have been uh, that would have been a nice situation, especially since I got no I answers no for you on that one, folks. I, I got like, no answers for you, and I mean – Let's face it, everyone loves that guy. Uh, I, I hate to make him yeah. the opposite of Chip Long, but if he, he sent a plane to South Bend, there would be a good number of guys who are in probably smaller positions right now that would uh, 
jump aboard and go with them to become full-time assistant coaches uh, and help them, uh, you know, uh, camp out and, and get things settled at Boston College because uh, that's how highly so many people think of this guy. And I think that's uh, how good he'll be as a head coach. I mean, look, his alma mater, they still have Derek Mason for another year. I think that would be one that's certainly going to be uh, on both people's radars, depending on how next year shakes out. Uh, but I have no doubt, especially after what happened on the field this year and with how close he came to, to getting a Power 5 job uh, this past week, that he's going to be a, a, a pretty a head coach at a pretty big program sooner rather than later. I think the interesting – there are many interesting students, but one of them was – I was sort of out of the mindset. I wonder if Clark Lee sort of looks at his career arc and says, all right, I've got a lot more to learn before I'm ready to be a successful head coach. I want to give it a few years before you know I make this make that kind of jump. Clearly, I, th- I think the way the BC stuff went, the answer is no. Like right. he, he feels like he's ready to go. So I feel like that is, that's something that we've sort of learned about Clark Lee in the last week. Um, does he even, does he need to leave to come back? Um, I don't know the answer to that. You know, I you know, sort of go back to a conversation with Jack Swarbrick over the summer. You know, I didn't ask him explicitly, would you hire a guy with no uh, head coaching experience? But he certainly said it was less important than it was mm-hmm. uh, 10 years ago because the program's just in better shape. Um, Clark Lee is the perfect cultural fit for what you want an Notre head coach to be. Uh, every new head coach is you're taking a chance on, whether they have head coaching experience or not. Um, but... Clark, losing Clark Lee, uh, I, now I think if you're in Notre Dame, you can be like, all right, we got a year to figure this out. Because um, I think this that probably hap- that was probably more sudden than Brian Kelly was expecting it to be uh, last week with Boston College coming so close. Yeah, I, I've long been of the belief at a place like Notre Dame with all the constituencies you're kind of indebted to uh, off the field there that it's a damn near impossible job to do if you haven't been the CEO out of a program elsewhere before. Uh, now, I, this blends into a, a story I'm working on regarding the playoff coaches where uh, if you look at Ed Odron and Dabo Sweeney, they were both in, promoted from interim coaches to full-time coaches. And Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley were both offense coordinators who were uh, appointed head coaches to succeed legends as part of succession plan. Um, and look, all four of those teams are in really good places right now. <laughs> and I think when you look at the success those people have had coming from programs that were and the exception of maybe Clemson when Dabo first got there, very well-established brands and knew what they were doing from an infrastructure standpoint. I think that that should let ADs around the country open their minds up a little bit and say, hey, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we've got the right guy in our building right now. We just need to let him spread his wings and get that opportunity. Uh, does it work the same way at Notre Dame? I don't know. I mean, it's going to depend what the circumstances are around the program. If and when Brian Kelly does retire or step down, because, uh, you know, at Notre Dame, you're always you're always a, a weekend away from a disaster on or off the field. I mean, there's just never a dull moment at this place. And, uh, you know, who would have thought? after at least on the surface looking at the way they they finished the season this year that their offense coordinator would have gotten fired right there's just so many dynamics that you can't prepare for here Mm -hmm. and i I think it would obviously benefit people greatly to uh be in that seat before and to uh understand you know everything that comes with that plate uh clark lee i'll say this he strikes me as a guy who knows what he doesn't know um in the same vein of what you said of maybe he thought he he needed another year to, to figure things out and, and become a head coach. I mean, I, I could very much you know see that line of thinking with him, at least as it relates to like a Notre Dame type of job uh, in terms of, hey, am I ready for this? I don't know. I'm a very type A personality who needs this, this, and this, and I haven't done any of this yet. I could see all that, which is why I think a, a place like Boston College or Vanderbilt would be great for him. Uh, I mean – you look at you could say Vanderbilt's a dead end job, but you know last I checked, the coach there before Derek Mason is doing pretty well for himself mm-hmm. at, at Penn State after winning nine games there twice. And when you're at jobs of that um, ilk, if you will, uh, that's I mean you're not competing for a playoff spot. You're competing to make noise, upset a blue blood or two in your conference every year, and win eight, nine, or ten games in a great year. And especially in the ACC, I think that's right there for the taking. Yeah, I agree with all that. Uh, I hopefully it would be interesting to sort of have this conversation with Clark Lake Lee over beers at some point this summer, um, sort of get his thought process and what it's all about. Because you know, with how the deliberate, thoughtful uh, he is, that mm-hmm. 
he sort of had these conversations with himself. Uh, I'm curious sort of how those would have played out because, you know, you're, you're right that he's very aware of what he doesn't know. He's got, he scores very highly on the self-awareness scale. Um, I think if Notre Dame said, Hey, do you want to give this a shot? You would be absolutely foolish to be like, well, I'm not so yeah. sure. <laughs> um, you jump at it. Um, you do it. So it, um, and if any, if of all the assistants we've covered here, in the entire Kelly era, and I would throw it back to the Weiss era and the Willingham era and the final year of the Davy era, which conveniently was Urban Meyer was one year before I started covering them. Uh, of all <laughs> of all the assistants that I've covered, I'm not sure I could point to one and say this guy is the goods for a future Notre Dame head coach more than I would say it about Clark Lee. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side to the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. Also, can help you put your kids to sleep. Samson family, this is huge. Sleep stories for kids. Calm Airways, highly recommended. So head to calm.com slash shamrock, get 40% off a Calm premium membership. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron and the Samson family in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash shamrock. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better, and your kids. Get started at calm.com slash shamrock. That's calm.com slash shamrock. And what's, I would agree with you in that part, but what's crazy about that too is uh, no one really knew much about this guy, you know, outside of Wake Forest or Syracuse before he yep. came along with Mike Elko in 2017. And even and when Elko said, left, like, Wake Forest, like when he he had the offer to be the DC at Wake Forest and left after a year, like he wasn't that wasn't real thrilling for people around Wake Forest. No, it was not. Clarkley has said like he can understand why Dave Clawson there felt like he made a cheap move to come to Notre Dame after a year, but he just felt like I'm a Notre Dame. I have an affinity for Notre Dame. I should try this. Um, no, that that's a thousand percent accurate. Um, but I mean, at the same point, when Mike Elko left, there was a bit of a freak out because the guy reinvented Notre Dame's defense with one year there, and he leaves. And they promoted Clark Lee maybe two days after that. And now we're talking about him as a Power Five head coach. And I, I can't help but think, given the infrastructure of Notre Dame's football program right now, given what a good place it's in, relatively speaking, that that doesn't benefit a guy like Tommy Reese in terms of like I know it's a different position I know it's a different side of the ball but look this has worked for us in terms of taking a chance if you will on a young guy who's never done this before there's always some anxiety involved if you've never called a play on either side of the ball before but uh, you know the alternative if we lose this guy could be really really bad that's that's a good point I mean I do think they're at they're at a point where Reese is not going to go anywhere now that Northwestern has come and gone um and, yeah, you but know, you know he's got NFL contacts, and that the silly season hasn't started there yet. Yeah, that's true. There, there's going to be a load of more openings. Um, so yes, yeah, some some kind of enhanced role for Reese has to come next year. I'm just not sure what the title is going to be on it. Um, regardless of who's coaching, they will have I think as good an incoming class of offensive skilled talent as Notre Dame has had. Early signing period starts on Wednesday. Uh, there will be. Uh, Kelly press conference, likely a Polian press conference as well to talk about the class. As I mentioned earlier, I'm down here in Richmond, uh, spent some time with Chris Tyree, uh, the highest rated running back Notre Dame has signed. And, you know, so, certainly the first everywhere five-star back since I, I want to say James Aldridge. Uh, I know that Greg Bryant was a five-star, I believe on one of the services. Um, Chris Tyree also has legit four, three speed, um, that's something Notre Dame does not have and could have used this year. It was, <laughs> I can let I our listeners know that he he watched the games the same way you watched the games, thinking like, oh yeah, if you had a guy with four three speed, probably would have scored there. Um, he has it, so it'll be. I'm fascinated to see how this class gets integrated into next year's roster because this is this is sort of the response class to. We needed a Justin Ross. We needed a Travis Etienne, and we, um, you know, less so Trevor Lawrence. I think that's Tyler Buckner more than uh, Drew Pine, uh, the freshman. But they have, you know, Mike Mayer, and then uh, at tight end, who is uh, just absolutely ridiculous. Um, I would expect him to maybe even be a second team contributor next year uh, if he had done early enrollment. It's um, it's a loaded group. 
and I think the best way to, to evaluate it is only Clemson, Alabama, and LSU will sign more five-star prospects this cycle based on uh, the current current rankings than Notre Dame. Um, they're right there with Georgia, Ohio State, which is not a place they have been for a long time. So my question to you in, in response to that, and you've touched on a little bit, you have a lot more experience in the recruiting department than I do. You've been doing this a lot longer than I have. Why is Notre Dame have the 13th ranked class uh, and not higher? Like, what what is the what contributes to that? I realize they have 10 less guys committed than Penn State number 12 does uh, right in front of them. But what, why aren't they ranked higher given the big names that are in this class? Yeah, it's I think it's mostly a volume issue. Uh, it's also I mentioned all the offensive skill guys they got that are I think elite or borderline elite. On the other side of the ball, it's, the, the class has been a struggle uh, to put together. You have Jordan so it's Batello. a Weiss class is what you're saying. Yeah, it's a Weiss <laughs> class. It's Get excited, really entertaining folks. to watch. Um, you know, defensively, Jordan Botello uh, from St. Louis School in Honolulu, Hawaii, is you know an edge rusher. And then Riley Mills uh, from the alma mater of Tommy Reese in Lake Forest is a three technique. Uh, beyond that, the guys that they got were not – um, elite level. There's no linebacker in the class. Um, there's some real developmental types. Um, they they did not meet their needs at defensive back unless you're going to include grad transfer Isaiah Pryor from Ohio State, which is fine because he has two years of eligibility. Sure. Um, you know, it's almost like a, a luxury JUCO pickup. Uh, but the, the star power of this class on, is on offense, and there's no there's no Jalen Smith. Um, there's there's nobody uh, I think even remotely close to that as much as I I think that uh, Riley Mills and Jordan Botello are good players. It's this class had four players ranked in the top seventy nationally in the twenty four seven Sports Composite, and they all play offense. Um, so it's uh, I think it's a class that's sort of it's kind of got that bright and shiny new toy vibe to it because everyone loves the running back receiver tight end combination that or trio that they've got. Um, you know, defensively, they did overload at defensive line last year and signed a ton of linebackers. Um, so I, th- I think they felt like they needed to back off that. And pretty much the way these classes are ranked, if you're rank, if you're not, if you're signing fewer than twenty guys, it's very, very difficult to be in the top ten. Almost impossible unless you're doing something like you know, Georgia, like, yeah, <laughs> or Texas. like Georgia, or you know, Georgia has fourteen even, commits in the ranked eighth. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much where you have to be. Um, you know, it's like Notre Dame is, and the difference between Notre Dame and Georgia is not great uh, in terms of the overall ranking. Um, but that seventeen guys uh, and one of them being a long snapper is not going to get you up into the top three where it is Clemson, Alabama, LSU. So it's like, how do you want to look at this if you're Notre Dame? Did it get you closer to the top of the mountain? Maybe you know. You'd have to say no. However, is it better than your more recent stabs at getting closer to the top of the mountain? I think you'd have to say yes. Um, you know, the, the last time Notre Dame signed a class really of this size, you have to go back to I, I want to say the the 2012 class, uh, and that that was not highly ranked either. That that came in at 17th. Uh, it had 16, excuse me, 17 total prospects. Um, the headliner was Gunnar Keel and Devontae Neal, who did not work out, obviously. But it also included Sheldon Day, Ronnie Stanley, Kavari Russell, Jerron Jones, uh, CJ Prosize, Chris Brown, Romeo Aquara. Um, it, it, it also had a long snapper in Scott Daly. So it, that was a light class, but it hit at a very high rate. Um, if this class hits at a high rate, especially at the top of the group, um, it it will give Notre Dame a shot on the field uh, against those bigger name opponents because, as we talked about at the top of the podcast, you know where Notre Dame is lacking is they haven't been able to score at the rate that Ohio State and Clemson um, and Oklahoma do. I'm not saying this class will suddenly create a 50-point offense, but it's going to give you players that can make people miss in space where if you get one-on-one matchups, you can you know essentially turn short plays into, into big plays, sort of. A lot of guys who can do something similar to what Braden Lindsay did in the second half of the season. Let's not sell our long snappers short, Pete. We're speaking less than 24 hours after John Shannon 
was named the inaugural recipient of the Patrick Manley Award, given to the best long snapper in the nation. He also received the game ball at Stanford, and his parents are lovely people whom I've shared multiple flights with to row games this season. I have so, met them too. Uh, those, are, those are big shoes to fill, all right? I don't want to hear, oh, one of them's did, a long snapper. Did you Scott Daly was great trophy, too. trophy, by the way? Like, I have you, not. You, it was a bit creepy. Um, it's just some sort of like dismembered hands holding a football. <laughs> God, it's very that, uh, that does sound creepy. I thought you were gonna say it was like the Moore Award, where it's like basically like a, a shelf with five dudes on it. No, um, a bureau. No, it's not like that's not like the land grant trophy of trophies. Um, <laughs> and look, the Camping World Bowl. Did you know? Is the oh, only I, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, postseason matchup featuring two finalists for the Manly Award. Uh, also includes Iowa State's Stephen Wirtle. I don't know how that one. I don't know if that's pronounced correctly. How, I also don't know how uh, how that will play out on December twenty eighth. It certainly adds a level of drama. Uh, yeah, they should like do a roller coaster race at Disney World or something like that before. I mean that that's uh, that 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 certainly is a a layer I had not really thought to explore until you tweeted it last night. But I'll have my eye on that one. That's going to be. A I hope that makes it an Notre Dame's big game story house. within the story. It better make yeah. it an Notre Dame's game notes. Should make it Iowa State's game notes. They're going to be pretty pissed off. Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, just, uh, it could be a long snapping competition before the game. Instead of, perhaps <laughs> instead of a Dr. Pepper tuition challenge, it could be a long snap uh, competition into that inflatable Coke bottle, or Dr. Pepper bottle, I should say, obviously. I just hope if and when either of them makes it to the next level, um, they have better luck uh, in warm-ups than the poor Tampa Bay Bucks guy did against Quinn and Nelson last week. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, John Shannon has already been announced as he's getting out of football. He has some right. back uh, medical issues, and he's going to law enforcement, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, after long snapping for Notre Dame should be no problem, a lot less pressure. <laughs> I, uh, I got nothing for you, Pete. <laughs> we're, we're, we might have to end it here. Okay, I think we've, we've talked out this episode of the Shamrock. Um, we will be back with sort of a, a post- signing day wrap up uh i'm not sure about a guest for that show or not um we're sort of deciding between brian van gorder or david gordon um do you want to try to get reggie bush on there um Uh, i will do my best but if brando's available i I might have to go with him and kick you off again okay all right we can it's i'll i'll see maybe i I might be busy if if you know (laughs) the show is better served without me i will i will stand down and and cede my time to the honorable senator brando well, let the record Mars. reflect that I began last week's first episode telling a story about getting a dead rat thrown at my head by a homeless man, <laughs> and it did not do nearly as garner nearly as much negativity, I think, at least on social media, as uh, the simple phrase Tim Brando did with us. Although, uh, as you can attest as well as I, there is a big disconnect between everything on Twitter, which is where everything sucks and goes to die, versus what people actually have shown to enjoy listening to, which in that case, I do thank Tim Brando for joining us because it was a very fruitful conversation. Yeah, it was an excellent podcast. I enjoyed listening to it. Um, but yeah, we will uh, we'll continue to have our twice-weekly schedule through the month of December uh, and then coming out of the bowl game, probably uh, a once-weekly podcast. And we will definitely have some guests that uh, perhaps score better with uh, the, Notre Dame, the Notre Dame Twitterati than uh, Tim Brando did. Uh, I'm sure we can come up with some good guests, so... Uh, until our next podcast, post-signing day, uh, I'm Pete Sampson. He's Matt Fortuna. Neither of us are Tim Brando. And you've been listening to the latest episode of The Shamrock.